country, right? A little bit, little bit tough to uh, shoot to Miami. <laughs> but when you do, when you come into Miami, you got to come here. You got to stop by. Yeah, exactly. But I, I will be there eventually. I will be there eventually, probably at the beginning of next year. So then I'll come in in person. But I, I prefer to do podcasts in person because they're a lot more... Uh... They're more personable. Yeah, because you can sit down and you can get to know somebody and, and you can get to, you know, just have a real conversation like humans should. Instead of the, you know, Twitter fingers and, and all the bullshit and you don't know who's behind it, you know? Yeah. I got to ask you this. I got to ask you this. Ready? I'm sorry. Go on. Ask me anything you like. All right. Because me and Scott, we were just at. Why in the world do you think Brady's wife went to divorce him right now in the beginning of the season? Do you think that's all because uh, he came back and she wanted him to retire? Um, you know, these people get divorced for all sorts of reasons. I don't know what it is, but like I I can't one because it's America. So let me put it this way: one, he lives in the United States. Good point. United States, and they are subject to American divorce laws. So number one, because he was in America. Because if she was married to him, uh, a man of equal success in let's say Nigeria or maybe Albania or Russia, it wouldn't be such a smart move. So the options obviously there on the table. Um, and the thing is with a lot of women in the West nowadays, and I don't know this woman, I don't even know her first name. I know who Tom Brady is, of course, I know who's going through a divorce. I couldn't pick her out in a crowd. The thing is with American women, and I try to avoid dating them for this reason, <laughs> lots of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are very, very entitled. So she will genuinely believe that him going and playing football all day is somehow a negative reflection on how he sees her and how he sees the marriage. You know, oh, he doesn't spend enough time with me. He doesn't spend enough time with the kids. Despite being the most famous and successful football player, basically, of all time, or certainly of the modern day and age. Um, so th that's the only answer I can give. She's divorcing him because she lives in the United States and because she can. It shouldn't be an option to cash out this rich based on another man's success. Um, the fact that the woman who divorced Paul, Paul McCartney is still making money every time a Beatles song is played, despite having no part in writing Did you know Beatles Scott? songs, is mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh. Because it's America is going to be my answer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... Uh, yeah, but the funny thing is, she makes more than him. So she makes more than him as a model. Oh, I, I see. This is my point. I didn't know exactly who she was. Yeah, she's uh, Giselle. What's her last name? Uh, Giselle Bunchkin. She's like supermodel. So she's got more money than him. So I'm thinking, oh, wow, I, I had no idea. I'm like, why would you divorce him two games into the season? Because what, he wanted to come back and go, you know, he's played 24 years and he's throwing like he did when he was 20. And what, you're going to divorce him when he got two kids? And he has like the... A lot of these hyper, the reason a lot of these hyper-successful people get divorced is beyond me. So I assume Tom Brady's wife was his some cheerleader or some high school sweetheart that he met. As I said, I, I'm not into American football, so Tom Brady's one of a handful of, of players I could even mention. But um, the reason these high-level people get divorced always, when you dig into it, blows my mind. So I'd like to read a bit more into it. Like I recently heard about Linda Gates divor divorcing Bill Gates, of course. Yeah. A, very a good friend of mine who's an autistic guy, an overthinker, sat there and went, yeah, well, you know, with the Ghislaine uh, Maxwell trial and her client list being leaked and, you know, all the people who were on the island now having meetings and talking to each other about what they were doing, his wife probably realized what he was up to. Ooh, that's really deep. All these years, to all successes, to all his stresses, and then suddenly once all the people who hung out on Jeffrey Epstein's island start 
panicking and having crisis meetings and the evidence against him is coming out. Oh, suddenly Linda Gates wants to divorce Bill Gates. Oh, interesting one for me. So, uh, but that was, they took an autistic friend of mine to say that. I, I, I didn't actually think about it that much. Um, so why is she divorcing him? I don't know. I don't know the guy. Maybe, maybe she, maybe she's bored by him. Maybe football fans love him. And maybe when it comes to, you know, hanging around with him and going on dates in the bedroom, whatever, he's just not all that. I don't know what. <laughs> I sympathize for him. And I hope in the great country of America, if she is in fact richer than him, I hope she has to pay him some money. But that's not going to happen. Now, we'll go, right now, it looks like it's going to go the other way. It looks like he's going to have to pay her two, 200 grand or 200 something crazy 200 million something nuts something nuts but the best one even in a world where she's so and then again i'll go back to my original answer yep. because it's america you got she it wouldn't be doing it in other parts of the world and hey how would you like to be jeff uh bezos right she gets at what would she get 400 billion then she goes and dates yeah. some guy who's 20 you know she thinks that 25 year old guy you know how long that lasted tristan two months now, how can you be normal around that girl? How can you be normal around a girl that has $32 billion just sitting in play money, $32 billion, not to mention the other hundreds of billions? How can a What's sad for me is not about her jumping on some young guy's dick after leaving Jeff Bezos. What's sad for me is the fact that she is now renowned and well-known and famous for being one of the world's greatest philanthropists. Oh, she gave away this. She gave away that. She funded this charity. She gave money to this person. Well, it's very easy when you didn't have to make the money to give money away. It's very easy. When you are the way, if I divorced a woman and she started giving money to charities, etc., like I'd be furious. I'd be pissed. And as the richest and one of the most powerful non-politically connected men in the world, I don't know, Jeff. I'm not saying do something bad, but, you know, at least sue her at least i don't know yeah, sue her because because she's getting all the credit from your money buddy she's getting all the credit like she's miss perfect and it's his money he's the most philanthropic man alive because not only did he give some bimbo 400 billion dollars he also uh, sorry 40 billion dollars or whatever it is <laughs> he's also now not getting the credit for all the charity and all the stupid shit that it's funding and that's his money that he earned but it all goes to her all the credit goes to her yeah, and I, I'll backtrack a little bit so as not to be misunderstood. When people marry uh, before they're rich, before they're billionaires, uh, I would say that a wife, if she's loving and supporting, is certainly an in integral part of helping a man become successful. But I don't like the word teamwork because teamwork implies that if this woman had teamed up with another man, he could be the world's richest man. No, she was very lucky and caught a very special individual. He was the special one. I'm sure she loved him and supported him and cared for him. And I'm not saying she didn't. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean that she was a great wife who helped him along his career path. I'm saying Jeff Bezos could have married one of a billion women and had the same result. Whereas she marrying anyone else on the planet, bar Elon Musk, would not end up as rich as she was. So that, that's what I will say. Now, do you think Elon actually goes through and ends up buying uh, Twitter now that he says he's going to, even though China just threatened him? What do you think about that threat from China? Uh, I, I, I really hope that he does. If he, if he doesn't, then he's not the hero people think he is. Uh, when, when he started talking about, oh, well, lots of the accounts are bots and Twitter's not what I think it is and its value isn't actually that high, I thought, you know, is Elon actually a pussy? Because we all knew that Twitter was run by bots and the valuation was fake and it's not all real users and real people and real activity. Everyone knew that. 
But the idea of having fuck you money to go in and buy Twitter wasn't about the valuation of the actual company. So if it doesn't go through and he pulls the deal based on not thinking it's fair value, then he's nobody's hero. He's not the hero that the left, the extreme left or the extreme right or anybody who believes in free speech makes him out to be. Um, you know, I've, I've had some interesting thoughts on Elon Musk over the years. I've got nothing to say bad about him. I have nothing but admiration and respect for him. But you could tell he's wired a little bit differently from men like me. One, he's richer than me. I probably would have quit at my first 10 billion. <laughs> credit to him. Two, I don't think he's as creative with money. He's all about making money. He's not as creative with spending it as a lot of people are. I, for one, am building a castle, the first castle that's going to be built in Eastern Europe since 1919. I start construction this year. It's going to take me four and a half years. Next to the historic castle of Dracula. Congratulations. Castle, for one. So that's going to be hilarious. And we'll, we'll talk more about that on, on, online and on podcasts as the construction work commences. But Elon Musk is different, you see, because he has a power nobody else has. He has the power to send things, anything he likes, into space. Now, if you give me that power, I'm not going to send some tape merchandise into space. He sent his Tesla into space because he owns Tesla. I would send a giant statue of me wearing no pants <laughs> and Tristan owns space. Because who's going to take it down? Nobody. So, Russia. <laughs> government is going to go out of their way to take down the giant pantsless statue that now orbits the Earth. The answer is nobody. So you are actually king of space and you sent a car. Like, bro, you're better at business than me. You're smarter than me, no doubt. But if you need some help, on how to spend money more creatively. Talk to your friend, Tristan, Elon. Actually, I agree with you because the car thing was funny, but if he would have done that, put himself up there, then it would have been more like, yeah, motherfucker, I got up here and you can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, it offends people because then who would take it down? People would be petitioning NASA to take down his stupid joke of a statue. When he was the one who was able to get up there while we neglected NASA, while all the other countries kept working on it, and Russia owns... The space station, basically, they control all of that. The thing I, the thing that that threw me off with Elon was when he went and bought that uh, the Bitcoin. He went and put two billion in. You know, of course, it shot up and then took it out. I mean, good business move, but you know, you shoot it up, everybody goes in and buys it. To me, I mean, you're kind. Of, if you go in and buy it, that's that's your own personal decision and risk, right? Yeah, but if you can influence whether other people make money or not, yeah, I mean, I certainly, so on a much, much, much smaller level than Elon, um, myself and my brother have been offered to, to back and become the face of a lot of crypto coins. Now, most crypto coins, besides Bitcoin, Ethereum, Chainlink, ones with really strong use cases, are essentially Ponzi schemes. They're pump and dumps. People get in. Someone like me or my brother would create all the hype around this, say it's amazing, and then the people at the top would take their money out. Uh, and I could have made easy 20, 30, 50 million dollars in these exchanges. I mean, the number of young men who believe in me and will put their money in is incalculable. However, I didn't do that because I would have, I have more money than the people who are going to believe in me and then lose money. And I would feel too bad if some kid put his last $200 in and that $200 became $20. That would break my heart. And he would. Power comes great responsibility. So you're right about if you can manipulate Bitcoin. If you can manipulate Ethereum, Dogecoin, certainly. Um, yeah, that, that's a lot of responsibility. And very dangerous, too. Yeah. And if I were Elon, I wouldn't 
at least publicly be seen making money in a way that costs other people money. Especially when you're the world's richest man. Right? Me, me and you both. the fuck he wants, and I can't stop him. <laughs> the space statue, maybe that's his version. <laughs> you know, he can do whatever the fuck he likes, and you and me and anybody and, and all the other Bitcoin guys can't really stop him. No, what are we going to do? His dick statue. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's his Elon Musk space moment. You're right, though. He is very odd. Like, he sold all his houses, like, out of nowhere. He sold all his houses and kept one and, and can you believe he dated amber rose what is it she's like uh she's got like a curse or something with this girl you know these women <laughs> and when i say these women i'm not talking about old women right say i'm a misogynist i'm not loads of wonderful women exist when i mean these women i'm talking about the amber herds of, of the world yeah, amber herds i'm sorry i said amber rose yeah the, the, gir the girls who you know the, their big break was a was a harvey weinstein picture if you know what i'm saying I don't understand how these women become so popular. Like, there was a story once where Robin Gibbons used to date Mike Tyson. After dating Mike Tyson, started dating Brad Pitt. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're Brad Pitt. You can find a 23-year-old country village girl who's nice and pure and cooks good meals and goes to church every Sunday. Why Mike Tyson's ex, though? Like, why? You're Will Smith. You're the most famous rapper slash actor in the world. It's the early 90s. All right, Tupac Shakur's ex. Why? Why? Why, though? I, do, I don't understand this. So, yeah, Elon, along with the rest of them, and I'm not saying don't date a woman who has a past as such, but people who are well-known in Hollywood for, uh, you know, at the at, in the clubs at the lower level, at the normie level, you call them table crawlers, you know? You buy the most champagne, they crawl over to your table. Hollywood's exactly like that, but it's uh, white powder instead of champagne. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone gives these women time of day. To be fair to Elon, from what I know, he basically kind of hit it and quit it. It wasn't really... He didn't love her up. I mean, Johnny Depp should know better, though. Yeah, he should know better. He most handsome man of 2018 <laughs> or something. Like, seriously, bro? Every 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 girl's house we would go to would have Johnny Depp on the wall. It was either Johnny Depp or Tom Cruise. They they all loved him. He could have any broad he wants, and he goes with her. Crazy. Yeah, I know. You know, a big thing. I understand the mindset because um, I'm. When I was a, 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 a complete unknown, complete unknown, I was, I was a millionaire. I was making money behind the scenes, etc. I, I attracted a very famous Romanian chick. And she was uh, Romania's most famous woman, essentially. She was married to some famous man. And I got my first taste of fame began about five years ago when I, she got caught cheating on her husband with me. Her name was Bianca Dragosciano. If you Google her name, my name still comes up. It was a huge scandal internationally, uh, uh, nationally here in Romania in the Balkans. And that was my first taste of fame. And I realized that this girl was just, you know, looking for some millionaire to cause a scandal with. I was a bit of a bad boy, a bit of a kickboxer. And it lasted less than six weeks because I don't like people who uh, take drugs. I'll, I'll say that. Any kind of narcotic, I don't associate with them. Um, the, the attitude of the women who do this, I think, naturally is, is very bad. And uh, she's a successful woman, and I'm not going to discredit her. She pulled the move that she wanted and used me, essentially, as, I guess, a pawn in her little game, which is fine. Helped me out in lots of ways. But now that I'm increasing in fame and increasing in wealth and pretty much anybody besides the world's most famous actresses and uh, singers will reply to my Instagram DMs, I don't go for those famous women. I don't go for those women who have been seen with, you know, other, uh, the other big guys, uh, you know, the exes of super famous dudes. I don't want that. I've never wanted that.
Well, if I bump into a girl, the last girl I'm date, a date, I bumped into her at a gas station, started talking to her. The nice, normal girl driving a little Fiat. See, to me, that's the girl you want because she's not tainted. She's not. She's not the Lamborghini with uh, two hundred thousand miles on it. By the way, why did they stop making the Gallardo? That was when I, I had two Gallardos. Do you know why they stopped? I know you have, you have a ton of cars. Why did they stop making the Gallardo and made a Huracan? Can I just say, before we start, before we even get into super enjoying this conversation, I had no idea what kind of questions you were going to fire at me, but I'm fucking loving this. This is one of the best podcasts I've ever been. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Please stop making the Gallardo. Um, I don't know because they are timelessly beautiful. I love those. I, I had the spider and the regular one. My biggest memory of the Gallardo, because I'm only, I'm only 30, I'm 34, so I'm, I'm not young, but I'm not, I'm not old. And when the Gallardo came out, I remember that A Cotton song, the uh, what was it called? That smack that. Oh yeah. For my Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first knowledge of the car, I just looked them up. I used to thought they were super cool. I never got into Gallardos because, full disclosure, by the time I was rich enough for a Lamborghini, they were selling Huracans. I was broke. I was completely out of. I was not on supercar level when the Gallardo was a thing. But um, yeah, it's now gotten to the point where it's called a classic. And I think it deserves its status. It's one of the only cars of that era that I would buy and drive if it weren't. I mean, there's a few reliability issues, but again, every supercar of that era has them. I think Gallardo is absolutely wonderful. So you used to have two? I had the regular one, and then I bought the Spider. The twenty, I had a 2011 Spider, and that was when they, they had changed the exhaust because I had a, the regular Gallardo, and you'd be in the car with a girl, and you couldn't even have a conversation. You'd be like, hey, how are you tonight, honey? And the exhaust was so loud naturally like I, I don't like that. I, I like it when it's like a bike. Wah, wah, wah. But sometimes, sometimes if you can't have a conversation with your passenger next to you, it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing if it shuts them up. Oh yeah, I mean let's just be honest. Sir. I've got the Vanquish S Ultimate with the Aston upgraded exhaust. You put the roof down on that, you can't hear anybody. So sometimes you know you got someone in your ear. I'm saying no names, talking kind of shit you don't want to hear. Who's this girl? Why is there lipstick in your... What? What? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the ones that you might as well rip your ear off. You know, and you know everybody looks at you and your brother. And when I was going through the research, I, I think it's important we touch on this. You guys used to go to KFC and pull out food out of the trash can, sit and wait for people to leave their plates, fight for it. It's not like you guys just woke up and had all this everything. You know, I think we should touch on that a little bit because... When I see the interviews with you and your brother, nobody ever says, hey, look, they have all this stuff now, but these kids had a tough decision to make. Do you go into the life of crime or do you become an entrepreneur when you're that poor where you're getting food from KFC? We talk about that in depth. Yes. Yeah, that, to, slight, to slightly correct the story, it was KFC and I wouldn't, wouldn't eat out of the trash cans. KFC was the restaurant I chose because people would leave their buckets on the table. They buy chicken by the bucket and they leave full pieces. So it was cold, it was discarded, and I used to collect the pieces from the from the table. That's the story. And I've done that, I did that probably 10 or 12 times in my life. It was a very hard period for me. And yeah, the life of crime, if you Google a town called Luton, England, it has been voted six out of the last 10 years, the worst place to live in England. Uh, crime, insane, drugs, stabbings. Um, there were lots of opportunities. I, I, I use that word very loosely for myself and my brother to go down the wrong road. Um, we're two big, strong dudes. We could be useful for a lot of people trying to collect money, sell whatever they're trying to sell. And, you know, I, it was never tempting because I didn't see any light at the end of that tunnel. I saw I was in a, I was in a fucking tunnel. I couldn't see the light, but I could see another dark tunnel. 
on the way down. And from the vantage point of where I was, nothing looked cool. So what you have to understand is vantage points. There are dudes who live in a middle income uh, household. You know, dad has a good job. This episode is brought to you by Fiji. More than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water. It's Fiji water. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. I want to talk to you guys out there who are working out all the time but aren't seeing any results. Your commitment isn't the issue. You're going to the gym all the time, different body parts, everything else. Before you go and buy a new supplement, try a new diet, new routine, let's talk about your testosterone. Low testosterone can affect anyone at any age. And low testosterone will take away muscle mass and you'll gain body fat. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. They're the worldwide leader at home testing kits. You order the testing kit, it's delivered right to your house, discreet packaging, next day delivery. You send it back, once it arrives in the laboratory, your results will be available in two to five days on your secure online account. So if you want to test your testosterone levels without leaving your home, visit trylgc.com slash MSCS and use the code MSCS at checkout and get 30% off. The link is in the description at the top. It was. I think everybody should, I mean, this is like a fantasy land, but I think everybody should for one month you're broke, one month you're rich, and then you go back to normal because then you have the feeling and then you know, yeah, when you get the Lamborghini and the Bentley, that's still not going to make you happy. Yeah, it's nice to have, but everybody who's never had it thinks that if I have 20 million, if I have a Lambo, if I have the Bentley, I'm going to be happy. Well, you're not going to be happy. You just have cool cars and whatever else. But that's what people think yeah. if they haven't had it or they haven't gone through failure. And then you have the envy and trolls and haters or whatever that see you guys and they don't realize where, how you got to where you're at. So now when you're in that position, how do you stay so disciplined to not go down the drug way i understand you saw like where that path was going to lead you but then where did you guys go from there I, I know you got into fighting you're eating a lot of chicken from there to to uh, fight how did you crawl out of that so people that are watching you know you, you were there at that low low point what happened that you yeah. crawled out of that well we we were always very very ambitious um we we knew that we wanted to make money because we knew it was the, it was the way out of our hometown and uh, man, fighting kept us to, to keep our, ourselves focused. We always had each other. So obviously not everyone is lucky enough to be born with a brother who's almost the same age as them, who's, who shares your worldview. But what I'd say to, the, to young men, team up with people who are looking to get to the same places you're trying to get to via the same methods that you're trying to get there by. Um, you know, myself and my brother, we run the War Room Network, of course. A lot, a lot of young men probably aren't ready for something like that yet. But inside of our Hustlers University program, people network and meet and talk and, you know, focus your attention, especially in this global age of the Internet, around people who have the exact same vision as you. So me and my brother had the exact same vision. There was no universe I was going to come home and catch him doing cocaine. There was no world he was going to come home and catch me high on marijuana. It wasn't going to happen because we always checked up on each other. But uh, sports as well. Yeah. Kickboxing uh, kept us disciplined, kept us out of that. Uh, the example that my father led by uh even living in the united states i just thought you know my dad's gonna find out i'm taking drugs these kind of things like crossed through my head because i was offered drugs a million times i was at parties where people do drugs i will go to luton today 
and hang out at parties with people I used to know where people are doing drugs everywhere and not in a classy way, like in a scumbag kind of way. And I can fit in there. It's cool. I'm still the same guy. But I just thought, fuck, if I start taking drugs, my dad will whoop my ass. And he's been dead five and a half, six years. And that's still one of the reasons. I'm sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good parenting, I guess, is one of the reasons also. But uh, I mean, we made our first million and uh, we'd, we'd uh, experimented with lots of things. We tried direct sales to sell advertising space. We had a level of success in that. Uh, television advertising was the game. And we actually bought our first supercar on that money. It was an Aston Martin Vantage, or a really old one. It would look very old today, but it was still quite old when I bought it maybe 10 years ago. Uh, it cost us 60,000 pounds. I had a few miles on it, but that was, it was still a very proud moment for, 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 for two kids who came from nowhere. But it's no, I, I used the resources around me. Now, people come at me these days because they say that I made my first money with, uh, with um, adult entertainment. I, I, me and my brother ran webcam models. And it started with having a few girls broadcasting on webcams in various uh, rooms in our house. And then the house became bigger. Then it became a studio. Then the studios became huge. Then we had our own website. And we became massive names in, in that industry. We're, we're no longer involved in that in, in any way, shape, or form. But it was... Um, I used the resources around me. I come from a poor town. There are pretty girls who liked me, trusted me. I was empowering them to make money. They changed their lives. Some of them bought their first house, et cetera, even at young ages. You know, I knew all the tech side of it. I knew all the, 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 the uh, uh, what's the word, the business side of it. And uh, yeah, I, I essentially teamed up with a, young, a lot of young, beautiful women who are, I guess, a resource that I had available to me as a young, handsome kickboxer, but flat broke. And I used what I had around me in a completely legal way uh, to, to make my, my first $1 million. So that's, that was the big break for us financially. The TV advertising stuff made us a bit of money, but it didn't last. The internet became too popular. Television advertising died. And now the webcam industry is slowly dying as well because OnlyFans and stuff are killing it. But I've been out of the game for so long, it doesn't matter to me. But, but that, that was kind of like the first time where you experienced real money was then when, when you did the OnlyFans thing with the girls and that's how you did it. You, you, found, you found the whole, say, like in your neighborhood, Bunch of pretty woman, you're broke, but you're a good-looking kickboxer. Okay, I get a couple girls around, and boom, you start a business, and it works. It, it did. It did work, and um, the money I made. I mean, even at the peak, peak, peak of this business operating was about three million a year net profit, which is big. Net, yeah. But it, it's not. It's not super real money compared to where I'm at today. But I, it was the first time I ever felt rich. Because I remember the feeling, which I've now forgotten, I'm so numb to it, of my card always working. <laughs> money, maybe 3,000 pounds a week, you know, 12, 13, 15,000 pounds a month was coming into mine and my brother's accounts. And I remember just restaurant, this, new jacket, shoes, whatever. And I just remember, unless it was a car, my card always worked. And that was such an amazing feeling. It wore off eventually because you become numb to it. But yeah, the card always working was uh, was the first time I ever felt rich. I can't explain a feeling like it. You don't have to worry. You don't have to check the balance. You just use it. And that was an incredible feeling. But that was back when I was now, I was 24 and a half, maybe to it. So about nine and a half years ago, it's almost 10 years ago. Congratulations on that. And you did it all legally too. You know, congratulations. I paid my taxes. Yeah. For anyone, look, I've never been a guy and I attack people actually who promote pornography there are some big youtubers who have porn stars uh you know they pay these little side men tinder games whatever with a bunch of porn stars they tell you yep that girl who's on my channel subscribe to her only fans etc i come at these people and i say whoa, whoa 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 don't go pushing this on your young audience 
And people always come at me, yeah, but you used to run webcam models. Yeah, so that's a very different thing. I'm a voice that young men listen to, and I'm a voice that young men follow. I ran my webcam models, and I tell people what I did to make money. I would much sooner tell men, if you have a lot of beautiful girlfriends, go out there and start yourself an OnlyFans management agency. But I will never push young men towards pornography, uh, especially working within the industry. I realized from some of the addicts and the clients that we accumulated how dangerous of a habit it can be for men. It's something that I've always spoken openly about. And people in my own industry, back when I used to work in it, would get very mad at me for this because they're like, oh, you're scaring the customers away. Good. Young men shouldn't be indulging in this. No, because then you expect that. You know, you meet, you finally do meet a girl, and then you expect that. You know, but you don't, yeah. but you know, you don't realize this is a show that's being put on for you. And then you go meet a girl, or you date a girl, and <laughs> she's not going to be the porn girl. She's not going to be the OnlyFans girl that went into porn. There, this is an act. You know, and that messes up a lot of guys because then they expect that. It does, and the biggest way that I know the that not even porn. Uh, live interaction with models online via OnlyFans now today or webcaming back when I was in the business or phone sex before that, whatever it was. The way that this has messed up men is, and trust me on this because I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. The way it's messed up men is what they don't understand is that the people behind all of these businesses, all of the OnlyFans girls who are very popular today don't work for themselves. They're not sitting there replying to dudes' messages. Sorry, guys, spoiler alert. There are teams, usually male teams, gay men or men, working behind the scenes, replying to all those messages. Christian, you're raining on all these guys' parades. You're raining on the parade. You took away the Kool-Aid smile. <laughs> Try to wake them up. So uh, what it does is uh, that men are replying to your messages. So men who interact with women all across these platforms, webcamming, OnlyFans, they equate female psychology with male psychology. So they think, oh, there's a girl I like on Instagram. Let me send her a picture of my dick, even though she doesn't know who I am. I'm not saying like your girlfriend won't ever ask for a picture of your dick. That's very different. But like unsolicited picture of your shaft in the inbox, that will make her like me. It worked on OnlyFans. The webcam girls love looking at it. No, you're talking to men the whole time. It's a big scam. How <laughs> yeah. you talking to men? You now think that the that the real girls are going to interact like the people on the webcams and the OnlyFans platforms? You're wrong. So that's that's the damage that it's doing. That is the damage that it's doing. And um, to be fair, I don't even teach young men how to do this. I I openly speak against the industry because I know it's bad for men. At the same time, I currently own casinos, and I am fully aware that becoming a gambler, in terms of a gambling addict, is very bad for men also. But I run the casino business. I still run the casino business. I do not apologize for running it, nor do I apologize for having run my OnlyFans girls all these years ago. Everyone is in control of themselves. And I will tell you right now, do not become a gambling addict. And I'll tell you right now, do not become an alcoholic. Do not smoke more than five cigars a week. These are bad for you. You know, I'm happy to... As I sit here with the jewel, <laughs> as I sit here with the jewel vape, I'm puffing it. <laughs> yeah, well... Whatever. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't a big vape fan, but, but, but uh, the Ignite vapes that Dan makes are pretty good. He sent me a few, so I appreciate those. I got hooked on them when they uh, out here in Florida. They they wouldn't allow you to smoke inside anymore. So then me and my buddy we opened up a bar. So then we had a bar, and then half was bar, and then half was vapes. So then you could go into the bar, you could get your beer and wine or your your shot of liquor, and then you can't smoke inside, but you could walk two feet to the left, and you could buy vapes for me. And then we ended up buying a warehouse and got everything in wholesale. 
opened up five of them. And then the U.S., of course, said, or the, uh, you know, like the Marlboros and the Newports and all them, they came down and said, whoa, these vape guys are starting to really put a dent in our profits. All wholesalers are now going to have to pay a 22% tax on everything. So when I saw that come through, we sold all five bars and the warehouse and ran. Yeah, because we got like a 90-day notice that, you know, in the following quarter, if you're a wholesaler, everything goes up 22%. So then I would have to up it. Then uh, the retail store has to up it. And then the person coming in who supposedly vaping is going to make them quit smoking, well, now it's $50 to get a thing of, of uh, you know, liquid to vape. What are you going to do? I'm not spending 50 bucks. I'll just go back and get my five packs of Marlboro Reds a day, you know? No, you're right. You're right. Now, talk. I, 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 I luckily live in a country where you can smoke. Technically, it's European Union. I don't want to tell on Romania here, but because it's the European Union, technically smoking is banned indoors. Technically, the Romanians don't. It's hard to, when you have a country where everyone smokes. The police smoke. The politicians smoke. The owners smoke. The security smoke. Everyone, and you get cold winters. No one's going to fucking empty the club and make everyone stand outside. In the Hell no. So people smoke here. People smoke here. Uh, it's on who you are. If you're a random tourist walks in and lights up a cigarette at a dinner table, they'll tell you to put it out. But if you're me, you can smoke anywhere. Yeah, well, I'm sure you can. You. Now, um, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your father, but how smart was your father? Whew. Uh, incredibly smart. So smart. It made him unlikable. He didn't have very many friends in his life. Myself and my brother were two of the uh, people, two of the only people he spoke to towards the end of his life. He was very intense, very hard to be around. Um, and, you know, but you got to take the good with the bad. He was also a hyper-intelligent individual. Hyper-intelligent. Uh, yeah, how do, you learn, how do you learn Russian in two and a half weeks? Two and a half weeks you learned Russian? Is that, is that true? I've been in Romania seven years, and my Romanian's still sketchy, so. <laughs> two and a half weeks Russian. I can't describe his intelligence in words because I'm not smart enough to describe it. Myself and my brother are very intelligent people. We're intelligent enough to take a fraction of my father's intelligence that, that God gifted us with and become multi-multi-millionaires, which is great. But um, I can't play world-level chess. I can't master a language in two weeks. I can't do a lot of the things that he did. Wasn't he in the kitchen and he would yell out and he could almost see the chessboard in his head and know what move you're going to make or your brother? And he'd say, hey, move my, my chess piece. Wow. Yeah, we'd sit staring at the board and he'd just ne ne read out the coordinates and then move his pieces that way and defeat us every time. And he wasn't the kind of dad who, who would let you win once or twice to try and get your spirits up. His whole life, I never beat him at chess once. Never. It was never going to happen. He could have lived another 100 years and I never would have beaten him. So, he, so he's never going to be that guy that's going to be like, all right, Tristan, I'm going to let you win this little one. No, nope, you're never, you're never going to beat that man. And that, that's good. Ego. And it's not, a, it's not about his chess ego. That's who he was as a parent. There were no participation trophies in my house. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So oh, yeah. The guy he was. Well, it's, those participation trophies are ruining the United States. Everybody gets a trophy. You know, I, uh, my other engineer, his, both his sons are in football. So now what's the point of going to practice every day and every night when if you win and you break your your balls, you're the one practicing until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, getting up for school, then you go, oh, the whole team gets a trophy so everybody feels, you know, that they're equal. That I mean, that's yeah, just insane. Okay. Now, how, how do – how can you progress in anything – when you're doing that across the board because then what is the point of anything 
Do you understand what I mean? What What is the point of working hard if everybody's going to be equal, and then the hard worker doesn't get incentive? Communism, yeah. Yeah, it's communist. Fucking communism. Yeah, it, it's it's trying to take uh, communist uh, ideals which do not work in the real world and cannot be implemented fairly in the real world, and implement them. And and they do work in schools. Here's the thing: everyone gets an A, grade averages. Everyone gets a trophy. Here's the thing: it works in school. But if you are a young man listening to this, let me tell you, it will not translate well to the real world. It will ruin you. It's player versus player. There are only so many Lamborghini Gallardos, and this guy had two. There are only so many McLarens, and I've got two McLarens. There's only so many resources, so much money, so many beautiful women. So many, there's only so many man hours to make fine tailored suits. And if you aren't the man who could get them, you're the man who can't get them. And this participation trophy shit... It does not work in the real world. And you'll leave school with this mindset that's all going to be okay, but it's not. Not everyone gets a Rolls Royce. You've got to go out and earn that. So, you know, if your school is brainwashing you with this stuff, next time they try to hand you a participation trophy, tell them no. Say, you know what? I lost. I do not want this trophy. Please give it to the winners. They can have two. I own my defeat, and I'm going to do better next time. I want young men to do that. Please tag me on Instagram, Talisman Tate. Let me know that you've done it. I'll give you a shout out. That would be super cool to hear somebody do. Participation trophies and medals are the biggest crock of shit that exists in the United States. Sorry, it's you guys. No, I know. I I agree with you 100. percent And I've I've probably brought this up 50 times, and that was the best reply I ever heard. If you get a trophy, give it back. Give it back and say, no, I don't deserve this. I wasn't the best. You're right. That's a great message, man. Try harder next time. Try harder next time. And if you have friends who are on the losing team, encourage them to do the same when you beat them. That's right. And then that way, whatever their prerogative or agenda is, it doesn't work anymore. And then you get back to where you have real successful people working hard to achieve goals and those who do get rewarded for their work and dedication, which isn't happening right now. Of course, because I'm, I'm very aware if I embark on a new business venture, which I'm doing right now on a few, I'm very aware that if it fucks up, I'm in the whole millions of dollars and no one's going to save me. No one's going to give me my money back. No one's going to say, well, take this successful company because you fucked up. You could just run this one. That's not how the world works. And most people do know that. But the problem is with with education is education is, by definition, bringing the young people up to the progress that humanity has made so far. And this, when you start introducing very, very new ideas, like the losers get to celebrate along with the winners, that, that I don't think that's ever been a part of human culture for as long as we have been educating youngsters from ancient Greece to today. So when you start introducing radical new ideas, you're not you're now not bringing the youth up to speed anymore. You're introducing something new. You're experimenting with a generation of children who who then have to become the young adults who who won the world one day. And you know I I pray to God that it works out okay, but. I don't feel that we're heading in the right direction, certainly. No. Me neither. When did you notice this whole bullying thing? I, I don't know what it is. Is this called the – I don't even know what these movements are called. Scott, are they called Me Too movements? What, whatever they call – whatever this movement is called. Where Me if you – what the – I don't even – there's so many of these names. I don't know what the fuck they are. Yeah. But when did you notice that if I, if I say uh, to Scott, Scott, you're a jerk-off. And Scott says back to me, Tommy, you're a jerk off. Okay, let's go have dinner, Scott. Let's have a good time. Oh, Scott, you bullied me. You bullied me. Mommy, cops, let me call the cops. When did you notice this bullying shit, which then led to the trophy thing and everything else? I think, in my opinion, I think that's kind of where it started with this bullying bullshit. And to me, I think it's a huge problem because if you don't have any fear, 
if there's no fear, I, you know, I, I, I like Nicolas Machiavelli. I think that's a great book. And he says very clear in it. I would, if I had to choose to be loved or feared, I'd love to be loved if that worked, but it doesn't work. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I believe this, I believe this began with, and this is an opinion completely unique to me. Maybe nobody agrees with me. This is just something that I think, because I've thought about these things a lot. And I believe this began with the decline of the general health of the American population. And you obviously keep yourself in good shape yourself, but Thank the you. average American, when I walk around American cities, looks nothing like the average uh, Eastern European, certainly. Sure. Uh, the weight problems people have, I've never seen, I've lived here seven years, I've never seen a single person using any kind of motorized mobility uh, technology who wasn't disabled. Like, they just ate themselves to the point where they have to do this. And with the decline of American health, it's like the example I said about Romanians, how they all smoke, so everyone is just in on with the smoking. In America, the health became so bad, and everybody became so fat, and everybody has a family member who's morbidly obese, and everyone has related to someone or friends with someone who gave themselves diabetes, quite literally ate themselves into that now having diabetes. And the American healthcare system obviously profits massively from this. I don't think that they wanted to shut the people up who said, what's going on with my country? Why is everyone so out of shape? Look at pictures of the beach from the 1950s and the 1960s and pictures on the beach today. It's all gone wrong with health. And that, I think, was the catalyst to this participation trophy bullshit. Huh. If you're no longer allowed to call somebody out and say you are physically inferior to me due to the choices that you have made in life. This isn't some fucking uh, this isn't some uh racial superiority program where you know i'd say oh i'm mixed race and i'm british and so that means i'm better than you no it's not about genetic superiority it's about i am superior to you literally because you decided to eat yourself to the point where you can no longer walk and so many people are in on this unhealthy lifestyle in the united states that it became disagreeable and unlikable to tell people the harsh truth that you are killing yourselves you're shortening your lifespan by 25 years you might know your kids but you're never going to meet your fucking grandkids because you have poisoned yourself and the decline of american health was the beginning of this participation uh, trophy bullshit because now i have to pretend when i'm at school with the big fat kid at school i'm not allowed to call him fat i'm not allowed to say he's done anything wrong or that his parents have done anything wrong i have to just accept that that's the way he is and this is the way i am well no that's not true is it because if you put us both in the same household raised by the same parents with the same strictish normal regime of go outside and play sports and don't eat cake every day we'd both be equal because we'd both be equal to our full potential. We'd be living our full potential as humans. So it began with the decline of health. I agree. I never, I never thought of it that way. I never thought about that, but you're right. It's, so not, the, it's not the jacked, in-shape, muscular right. who, do, who do well and, and train. It's the fat kids. The fat kids lose the sports game. Let's not make the fat kids feel bad. It's your trophy. So, so in other words, basically what happened is too many people got too fat, didn't give a shit, didn't take care of themselves. So then what happened was you have the majority of people looking like shit, not taking care of themselves, you know, like not huggers at nighttime with the, you know, the, you know, those blue and white Hanes or, or the blue and yellow Hanes with the nut huggers and the Budweiser and the cigarette hanging out of their mouth, but they got a fucking trophy, but nobody took care of themselves. So now you have all these overweight people people that are completely not healthy that don't work out so then because they don't the one guy that does that smashes everybody 
Now he goes around and says, hey, you fat fuck. Hey, you loser. What yeah. are you doing? Playing your video game for the hundredth time? Now everybody's playing video game. Yep, dude. I think that I think you hit it right on the head, and I think that's a hundred percent when it started. Damn, damn. Yeah, which is which is. Why didn't I think of that, Tristan? I have. I see things from a very unique perspective because I live here in Eastern Europe, where participation trophies don't exist. You know what else doesn't exist? Fat children, overweight, morbidly obese children do not exist in the country I live in, and I will openly say I've never fucking seen one. They might exist somewhere. One child in this country, God help it, may have a genuine medical problem and may have something wrong with his, his thyroid or something. And that I'm sure that shit can happen. But you don't see big fat kids walking around. You don't. So no participation trophies. Yep. So I like that. Beautiful. I like that about the East, about Eastern Europe. Yeah. I'll tell you something that uh, coincides with what you said. A friend of mine, Vinny, he opened up a store called iSnacks. And what he did was he got food in from every country, China. Uh, Holland, Sweden, Australia, and America. Yeah. So he came on the podcast because I thought it was interesting. You know, the different flavors and whatever else. If you drink a Coke from the United States, Coca-Cola, and then a Coca-Cola from China, night and day. If you eat a Dorito from the United States, a Dorito from China, night and day. But the biggest thing, and I already knew, the killer is the expiration date. In the United States, the expiration date might be a year more, a year and a half. In all the other countries, all of them, the expiration dates on a soda, three months, six months. So there's not all those preservatives. Here, we're so egotistic and money-hungry, we'll dump in cancer-causing, you know, baby defects, anything to make something last longer so that they can make more money. And then, and in my opinion, that leads into why everybody's overweight. They don't take care of themselves, so on and so forth, because the other countries, they take care of their people. And then they, the Americans will say stupid things, stupid things like, oh, it costs so much money to eat healthy. It's because we're poor. We have to eat this cheap food. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I live in Romania. You can Google the GDP per capita in this country. No one has health problems. But also, it's not just that. And uh, this is a very controversial topic that I'll bring up as well. It's young women... And men, and men, because men men do their share of the, the, the housekeeping and, and the chores nowadays. I'm not going to pin this on women. It's the young people's, young married couples, young parents' inability to effectively run a household. And when you're ineffective at running a household and you've got your mid-income, it's Uber Eats every day. So who's preparing your family's food? Who knows? Some guy in some kitchen down at the local Chipotle fucking restaurant. Miserable as hell. It's like this. Hates his job. <laughs> Yeah, I used to, my, my mother was broke as fuck, living on about 350 pounds a month in a government-assisted fucking homeless shelter, then a housing unit. And we had three meals a day, and we were in perfectly good health. I meant vegetables, salad, fucking a mix of meat and carbohydrates, porridge for breakfast, fruit all the time, because she knew how to run a household. I think people now don't know how to run a household to the point where they will neglect their child's nutrition and what they put into their children's body, and they'll trust Uber Eats with that more than they are comfortable trusting themselves because they don't know how to prepare a square meal. And it's very sad. And I say this all the time. In England, there are now – there's an epidemic in my home country of England 
where more families than ever are relying on food banks, which are food charities where you can go and get free groceries and you get like allocated free groceries per, per, per month. And I say it's nothing to do with the economic state of Britain. The economic state of Britain is much better than it was in the 50s when they were still cleaning up debris from fucking the bombings of World War II. But in the 50s, when everything was broken, you were still rationing every single child grew up with meals on the one. Okay, not every single child. That, that's a stretch. But, but families largely grew up with eating three square meals a day because women knew, at the time it was women, how to prepare meals, how to cook, and how to provide for their families. So that the health downfall of America is not just in what they put in the food because you obviously choose not to eat that crap. I don't eat that Everyone shit. Has that choice. Everyone has that choice. And the, and, the young, and the young parents who feed their kids have that choice too. So no, it's not just what they're putting in the food because supply and demand is how capitalism works. I encourage... Uh, a company, if you think you can make more money to put poison in your food, whatever, I'm not going to buy it. And if everyone was as switched on as me, nobody would buy it, and you'd have to change your recipe. It's exactly what I said about the gambling. It's exactly what I said about the OnlyFans and the webcamming. It's personal responsibility. These food companies are not at fault for putting that crap out there. Just like the casino owner isn't at fault for the gambling addict who's going to lose his family's life savings. He's providing a service, and he's providing a service as best as he can to maximize his profits. And in this fair society of capitalism, anyone can choose to do whatever they like, and they make these choices for themselves. So uh, without sounding too cruel, fuck them. Take your participation trophies, eat your skittles, and let's see how well that translates to you being an adult. But if you listen to you and people like me... On YouTube, hopefully you'll wake up. I want I want 16, 17-year-old boys living at home. Maybe you're a bit chunky, a bit overweight. Instead of going to the gym all the time and sending me those selfies, which I do appreciate, by the way, why don't you go to your mother and your father and say, hey, guys, I think we should make some changes as a family. I think we should make some positive changes as a family on what we eat. You know, you're doing the cooking every day, dad, or you're doing the cooking every day, mom. Why don't we try to include more vegetables? Why don't we try to exclude more of this? I would fucking love to see young people doing that after this, this interview. So please do. And a, and a lot of it, a lot of it here in the U.S. is the parents. It's how they're raising their children. So then you want to look at a, a female or a male and say, oh, he's a drug addict or he's poisoned or whatever. Well, why did he do that? Where was his parents? You know, they had 18 years with them, 16 years. Look at you. You were you were afraid of your dad. You said, shit, my dad will kill me. I can't do that. I'm afraid of him now. Yeah. Find a way. <laughs> Let's put a marijuana split or a cocaine line up my nose. He'll find a way to beat me up now, and he's long. He'll put some voodoo shit on your ass. He'll voodoo your shit. He'll voodoo, he'll voodoo you from uh, the seventh dimension or wherever the fuck. <laughs> He meant it. When he said, don't ever let me catch you taking drugs, boy, he meant it. That's how my grandfather was. My grandfather was the same way. When, when I would play football, and this is what's missing like this. I used to live in Pennsylvania, freezing cold. When it was minus two, I'm 10 year, or, you know, 13, 14 years old, outside in a wife beater, 100 catches in the snow. We're not going in. My mom, you know, from Italy would come out. You're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. But when it was summer, three sweatshirts on three sweatpants, catch 100 balls. Now, when I went to play football and all these guys had these heat warmer things, i just been doing this for the last three years and two, minus two with no gloves, and I couldn't go in until I caught 100. So while they're all trying to warm up their hands and worried about the heat and the cold, it was nothing because I had good, a good grandfather that made me a tough man, and, I, and, that, and that, the benefit that I had from that hell, I mean, was unbelievable. And somehow you end up as the guy with two Lamborghinis back in 10 years. So, like, I wonder why. Like, surprise, must be luck.
Now, I think just like you, we I didn't get shit. It didn't matter. I thought my mom, you know, my mom passed away about nine months ago. There, that was the hardest thing for me. I, I, but I thank you. I appreciate it. And she was one of those women to the day she passed away. I thought she had like maybe 25 grand. But little did I know after she passed and what she left for 78 years, this woman, honest to God, you would think, you know, shops on QVC, Home Shopping Network, going for the deals at, like, uh, you know, whatever the dollar store was the thing. Meanwhile, th meanwhile, this woman's got a, a fucking cash cow in the bank, and you would never know and never let me know and never got me anything but lawyers. <laughs> that, that was when the money came out with lawyers. You know what? Uh European stereotype Italians is being cheap in that way. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very Italian stereotype here in Europe. So I don't know what it's like in the United States. It's pretty it's pretty damn true. It's pretty damn true. They're they're cheap and they save until they die. You know, it's, and then they gossip about it forever. With all the yeah. all the success that you've had uh financially and within yourself, if I gave you the keys and you and you can take care of the United States and the inflation issue. What are what are some of the first things you would do to get our, you know, our interest rates down, get the inflation under control, and get it back where we're not getting killed? Because look how successful you are. So I think you're a great person to ask this question. I'm I'm enjoying this podcast so much. Thank you, I appreciate it. I am too as well. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk politics. <laughs> as a rule, don't don't talk politics. I can Yeah, I, I won't do it. I agree, but I I mean just what you would do if you looked at it as a business, what you would do. I'm president of the United States. There's no shadow cabal secretly running the country, and I have, I'm actually powerful, and I can I can do what I like. Right. Yeah. We're we're in a dream world. Remember. <laughs> yeah. No, the complete dream. World. Um, I'm no longer an American citizen, so that I can never become the president of the United States. But what I would say is this: I think the number one most important thing, and we're seeing this now in Europe with what's happening with uh, the Nord Stream two pipeline being sabotaged. Um, you know, what we're seeing this in Europe with the energy squeeze and the energy crisis, mm -hmm. everyone's too busy. And America, certainly, even over the last 20 years, 30 years, regardless of administration, has been too, e too busy trying to virtue signal with things that are completely ineffective, things like renewable, clean energy. They, you know, they give it names like this. Germany did this. And Germany was once very famous about seven years ago, eight years ago, for getting almost 100% of its energy from renewables. Oh, wow. Well done to Germany. But when it gets cold and you have to crank the power up and the wind's not blowing, what do you do? No, it's okay. We'll just use Russian gas. We'll use other countries and take our energy uh, supplies from there. Oh, you mean rely on other countries. Is that what you're saying? Rely on other countries? No. Yeah. And that was that was Germany's downfall. Yeah. Energy prices in Germany have 4 x in the last seven or eight months. Mm -hmm. And it's not that. And I'm not going to say my opinions on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I'm not going to do that, actually. But let me tell you something about Russia and Germany. I'm going to talk about Russia and Germany. It is not that Russia has cut off the gas to Germany. It is not that Russia has cut off the gas to anyone. It's that, for good or for bad, they were sanctioned so heavily with all the assets they held in U.S. dollars. They said to Europe, look, we will sell you the gas. No problem. Please open a rubles account. Pay us in Russian rubles for the gas. And Germany and all these countries are virtue signaling so hard over a country which is – they the politicians of Germany have no jurisdiction and no responsibility over the people of Ukraine. That is the Ukrainian government's job. They are selling their own people out by refusing to open this rubles account and refusing to buy the gas that their own energy prices have 4 x 
5x in the last six or seven months. So anyone who said that Russia cut Germany off, I'm talking about Russia-Germany dynamics. I'm not talking about Russia and Ukraine, right. by the way. Anyone who said Russia cut Germany off, they didn't cut anyone off. They, it's supply and demand, and they sell their gas the way they want. And Germany are in a position where they want to virtue signal so hard that they're getting buried. Now, the United States, if I was the president and I could do anything I wanted in the United States, number one, I would fight for energy independence. Now, with uh, fracking and the shale reserves that are up north in um, the, the northern states at border, Canada, border Canada, with Texas's oil fields, with everything that's been found in the Gulf of Mexico, America could achieve energy independence in a few short years. And until it does that, and it's still relying on foreign influences, most countries in the world, by the way, even those who are friendly to America, dislike America in general. You're relying on unfriendlies to power your massive greed and infrastructure and military uh, you're, you're never going to fix the country. Energy independence is number one, and that is what I would fight for if I became, I won't even say president, dictator of the United States. But I have no interest in politics. I'm never going to run for politics. But I believe that's not America's number one issue. I think so, too. I, I, I think it is, too, because when when you have the ability to, to have the energy here, but then you're you're basically making other countries, you're basically making the en enemy rich, and then you're relying on them. Exactly. Like, look at China. You know they're gonna. You know they're gonna hit Taiwan. Yeah, exactly. But but you. I mean, America's relying on China. They make all our fucking iPhones. What are we gonna do? So yeah, independence in terms of manufacturing and energy is paramount. And you know, I could tell you why. You know, we preach this because myself and my brother, we we were very quiet about the Hustlers University Two program for a long while, and that's because we essentially were revamping it. Because we relied on the, the matrix systems, as my, myself and my brother called them, Amazon servers, et cetera, to run our Hustlers University 2 program. And this height of mass cancellation, they canceled our payment processors. They canceled, but the program's been running very successfully in the entire time. And the essence of Hustlers University 2 is we say exactly like you have to be energy independent. You have to be financially independent in and of yourself. You can't be relying on the enemy, whether the enemy is your own government, whether the enemy is the welfare state, whether the enemy is someone else. If you just happily wait there for your stimulus checks and the government to hand you the breadcrumbs and you have no personal agency to make your own money and to earn money, whether it be online with the unlimited resources that exist in the world, then you are waiting, just waiting for somebody to get bored one day and think, fuck it, I'm going to take this guy out. Countries are the same. People are the, people are the same. That's why we tell every single young man, and I'll say it right now, the, my, the link is on my picture, I believe, hu2.io, Hustlers University 2, has been running this entire time, and we've gone loud again with it now because we now rely on zero systems that can be canceled. We have our own bank, our own payment processors, our own our own uh, servers, etc. We've rebranded. The, the, it's now going to be called, from November 14th, the real world. That's and awesome. we teach, instead of 18 methods of modern wealth, uh, wealth creation methods, we now teach 19 because now we can teach whatever we like without having to worry about being censored. Beautiful. Yeah, it's the same with countries. It's the same with people. You need to be able to, to make your own food, make your own bread, have your own energy, have your own income streams, have your own money, and not be reliant on anyone else. What happened? What happened to a garden? Me too, right here. What happened to a garden, Trisha? What happened to like a garden? You know, people be like my grandparents, my mother. They would have you know tomatoes in their garden and shit. You don't. You never see that kind of stuff anymore. You know the biggest psyop America has ever pulled, and I'll say America. Because I believe America is very bad for this nowadays. In Eastern Europe here, I live in the richest part of town. There are houses down the road from here that have their own chickens. Some. Not everybody, but it's a lot bigger here. And there are certainly in the countryside, in the smaller towns and villages, everyone's making their own vegetables. Again, nobody's fat out there. Yeah, exactly. The biggest psyop that the American government have ever pulled, and I will say America this, because America is the only country that mandate this by law. 
The biggest psyop that they've ever pulled is by making it the law that everybody with land in front of their house and behind their house for uh, beautification of the city laws, for whatever compliance laws they want to put in place, for whatever reasons they say, you now have to spend your time cultivating, cutting, trimming, completely useless, non-edible grass on all the land that you have. No, you can't plant potatoes in your front garden. No, no, no. That would make the city look ugly. We're going to fine you. We're going to fine you so bad. There have been people who've been taken to jail for having ugly brown lawns because they refuse to do the care. So you still have to do the labor. You still have to either hire or do the labor yourself. You still have to cultivate plants. You still have to grow them to a certain standard and make them look a certain way. But no, it has to be grass. Inedible, completely useless, not good for bees, not good for wildlife, not good for shit. It has to be grass. And that is a psyop that the American government have pulled over the last 50 years. And wow, has it worked. And they do. And I can't grow shit anymore. Right now, if you go down the street, we're probably, what, two miles from uh, where Trump lives. And uh, Al Pacino has a house down here. He's never there. All these monster houses down this road, they fine you 20 grand. $20,000 if your lawn care isn't taken care of. And just like you said, it's cut like this, this high. <laughs> There's not as green as green can be. You know, so they're putting all that shit in the soil that's going somewhere into the ground, that's going into people's food. Yeah. Yeah, but don't, yeah, exactly. But but don't grow organic potatoes. No, don't do that. Not allowed. Nope, that would make the neighborhood look ugly. So we're gonna fine you twenty grand. No potatoes, grass only. It's uh, it's insane. And I think America's the only country in the world that does that. Mandates grass. A lot of people do it because it's fashionable. My garden's all grass. I'm not gonna pretend that it's not. But also, I have about four years worth of freeze, uh, four years supply worth of freeze dried food that's gonna last me thirty five years here here in my house. That's a just in case. So I'm yeah. in a very privileged position. But uh, yeah, it's insane that um that they mandated that you must do plant care. You must take care of your plants. But it has to be this one inedible, useless plant, useless for everything. And if it's not, then you go to jail. Yeah, and it's true. You're you're a hundred percent right. They'll find you, find you, find you, and next thing you know, they'll they'll throw you in the county. I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, here in America, HRT clinics have be it's become huge, you know, like getting testosterone and everything else. Now, when a guy goes and does it, oh, he's on steroids, he's this, he's that. But yet forever, and I, I don't think this is sexist, it's just, it's the truth. Forever, women have gone and gotten their breasts done. They've got, now they get their ass done, whatever they get done. Now they have the HRT clinics, and whenever a guy goes and gets testosterone, maybe actually really does need it, maybe just wants to feel better, you know, it's taken under doctor care, there's a stereotype then of that male that he's that big, that strong, or whatever it may be, because he went and got HRT. Yeah, I can give him all the tes testosterone in the world, but if he's not working out, he's just going to look like a fat midget. Yeah. So, well, so my opinion on steroids is this. Me and my brother have the same opinion. And we've always shared the same opinion. And, and we didn't think of this when we were younger. So it's not that we were particularly long sighted. Um, your testosterone level and your testosterone health, if you, could, if you work out your whole life, I've been working out religiously since I was 13 years old, 14 years old, but ever since I started kickboxing, I found a sport I loved. I didn't think about the long-term health effects, et cetera, but my muscle density is good. My testosterone levels are nice and high. You know, my, 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 I function perfectly fine sexually. My bone density is good. I'm big. I've got a big frame. I'm strong. Um, that's very much a product of my lifestyle, but I don't think there's anything wrong if you've been living the wrong way. 
There are people who have done irreputable, irreputable, irre, irreparable damage to their bodies and themselves from a lifetime of complacency. Video games instead of sports, TV instead of instead of going out in the world and trying to you know, meet people, porn instead of meeting real women. And they get to the 35, 40, 45 years of age and the testosterone is shot. Their bodies are fucked. And the only way to make this massive transformation back to even a a, 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 a uh, uh, let's call it a, a slim of uh, a slim of a healthy person. <laughs> yeah, is, is is to get help in some way. Is to get help in some way. And a lot of people find help in, in testosterone replacement therapy. Absolutely, they should because testosterone levels anyway they reduce over time. I'm so not against it. I will say that a point will come in my life, probably in my forties, where I'll think, you know what, Tristan, it's time to start topping your levels up a bit. Because and women have been doing this for as long as, as you said, as long as. Surgery's been invented. I mean, there've been facelifts, everything to look younger, putting little fillers and stuff in their lips and their faces. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with it if it's being used for the right reasons. Right. You know, you can be 40 years old where you're never too late to make a positive change in your life and you could have lived wrong the entire four decades and you think, fuck it, I need to get myself into shape. Steroids aren't going to get you out of it. Steroids, along with hard work, along with going to the gym, along with uh, critiquing your diet and stuff is going to help you. But do I have anything against it morally? No. As I said, a, a point will come in my life where I have to jump on this stuff. I've never tried it myself. Um, I'm, I, my brother has publicly called out anyone who says that he's on gear to come and blood test us, no problem at all. So it's not something I've done, but I do understand the need for it, and I don't think it should be ostracized. That, that, that's what I meant. It, it's, it's ostracized if a, if a guy that goes and gets testosterone from the HRT clinic or, say, uh, the one where a guy, you know, maybe he's 45, maybe he's saved up for five years and he's tired of being fat. He's too fat to get it to go down. So he gets the, well, they tie the stomach. So your stomach shrinks. And then, and then that male and female too, they're looked down like, oh, well, they cheated to get down there. I look at it as that male. Okay. Well, maybe that man wants, wants to, he's, he looked in the mirror one day and said, damn, I, I better do something. And he's kind of past the point of j jumping on a treadmill for three hours a day trying to lose it. Saved up his money, got the thing, but yet then he's looked at as like this cheater or whatever. But then when someone else does it, there's a completely different stigma. Actually, there is no stigma. I'm, I'm going to turn this argument upside down for a second. And I'm going to say, good, but, 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 but here's my reasoning. Here's my reasoning. Because initially I get what you're saying and I do agree with you. But to play devil's advocate, I'm going to say, I'm going to say good. And I'm going to say good for one reason and one reason only. It's actually very good for men that we don't have a body positivity movement. The reason no one looks down on women is not just because women can do whatever they like and, you know, they're beautiful through surgery and we're not allowed to say anything bad about them. My friend, we're not allowed to say anything bad about them if they're fat and unattractive due to their own life choices. I'm not allowed to say that woman is 400 pounds. Wow, she's unattractive. I prefer a woman who's 150, 200 pounds. I'm not allowed to say that. So I would actually say, thank God that this does not exist for men. <laughs> God, that when you're a man who's big and fat and out of shape, other men will look at you and say, that guy is fat and weak and he's a loser. I, it's good that women will look at you and say, you know what? I don't want to have sex with that 500 pound man. Fuck that guy. Because at least we don't have the body to be positivity movement. Now, fine. You take drastic cho cho choices and you make drastic steps to get into shape and to boost your testosterone or to clamp your stomach, whatever. And you, and you know, you get back into presentable shape. If the body positivity movement existed for men, there'd be no incentive to do any of that. And then you're just a, then you're just a fat undesirable and everyone has to pretend they're attracted to you, but you're still getting no pussy and still living a substandard life. So um, 
Yeah, it's better to be laughed at for that kind of stuff than praised for staying fat. So I much prefer the male position. Right, I agree with you. And then the way you said it, it almost takes you back to the trophies for everybody, right? You could kind of look at it like that too. So the guy who's working his ass off and ripped, then the guy that was fat and chunky and drank beer and played video games till 45, he goes and gets one surgery and he's he's got he's got a, he's got an eight pack like the the liver king. Ever see that guy? He's funny as hell. No substitute to natural hard work and health. Yeah. Substitute. If, um, could live. So I'm 34. If a man lived like shit until 31, for the last three years, he could have made an epic transformation. Good. He, can, he may even physically look better than me. But my natural testosterone levels, my, my bone density, my sexual function is still going to be much better than his. So there is no real substitute for it. Um, whereas, you know, with women, it is a substitute because... When you grab those big titties, do you really care what they're made of? Nope. I do not care. Nope. Nope. I, and any, any guy who says that they do is full of shit. Yeah, we, women women uh, have cheat codes that men don't have. Yeah, what, what the fuck? I don't, we don't even we don't even have five. I can't I can't count five. Can you count five cheat codes we got, Scott? <laughs> we don't get shit. So yeah, it's um, yeah. Thank God things are the way they are. I, I like them. It's, I wouldn't change them. And uh, for all you guys out there who want to make a positive change in your life, I certainly won't laugh at you. And some people might laugh at you. But let me tell you, when you're the guy who's 220 pounds, maybe still a bit overweight, but in much better shape, maybe you've, uh, I'll say it right now, I, I've had a hair transplant. I've taken hair from other sides of my head and put it here on top to make my hair look thicker. Listen, my hair goes, Tristan, I'm telling you right now, my hair goes, the first thing I'm doing, I'll go get 10 jobs at McDonald's. I'll work morning shift, night shift. What if my hair goes back? If I lose my hair, the first thing I'm doing, I'm going and get my hair fixed. I don't. I will not live this life without hair. No way. And I, I did do that, but I don't really suit being bald. I've actually got a bunch of scars on the side of my head from uh, from car crashes and broken glass. I like having hair, and I I've done that. And for any dude out there, and I'm gonna, I'm saying this as words of encouragement. If you're the fat guy who did a gastric band, maybe you're the really really skinny guy who did the testosterone boost. I'm a guy who was losing his hair a bit and got a hair transplant. Let me tell you, some people mention this. And, oh, yeah, Tristan, you had a hair transplant. I'm 34 years eight, uh, years of age. I'll be 35 soon. Yeah, my hair was thinning a bit. Whatever. I fixed it. But let me tell you, I'm happier. I look more attractive. You know, I've, I've, there, are, there are beautiful women surrounding me. So let the incel in his bedroom, who maybe has thick natural hair, type all his laughing comments at me if he likes. And let the loser, who's still fat and still out of shape, uh, you know, assassinate you online for having your gastric band or doing your testosterone boost or whatever. Let them laugh, but you're going to live a happier, more fulfilled life. Because you're going to look in the mirror and you're happy with you and you can love yourself, right? And then you can love yourself and then you're better to other people. And believe me, no one knows better, especially in the last seven or eight months. No one knows better what it's like to be attacked online. <laughs> than me and Andy like I, still not, I still don't understand. I truly don't give a fuck. I want to ask you about, uh, we had talked about uh, drugs a little bit earlier. What do you think about big pharma, you know, pushing down this Ritalin, you know, the Adderall to all these, these guys? I've seen guys get put on Ritalin, Tristan, the happiest, funniest, cracking jokes all the time, ready to go, just funny. And then they, they go and they give them this, uh, you know, ADHD, ADHD shit or whatever they give them and they turn into these, a totally different person, no personality. They're not funny anymore. They're, they're not who they are. But, you know, you have the doctors with the kickbacks, you know, so they're they're going to pump you with whatever they can make the money off of. 
What's your take on the big pharma and what it's doing to a lot of guys with all this uh, bullshit medication that you get one, then that one gives you a side effect that you need another one and another one and another one. Then Pfizer goes into court. They killed a thousand people. Somehow they get to go into court and pay a billion dollars and walk away. If it's you or me, <laughs> we're doing life. And then they make another drug and do it again. Yeah, it's, um, look, medical technology and medical science is wonderful. It's wonderful that we can cure cancer with chemotherapy. It's wonderful that insulin keeps diabetics alive. It's, 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 it's all wonderful. It's not so much the drugs, it's the system that purports them. As I was saying about the American food industry and why the parents are at fault, for poisoning their, their children, because it is supply and demand. The way the American system is set up in particular is very dangerous. And I think it's set up because I don't know anyone in this country who gives their kids Ritalin. I don't know. I've never heard of it. It's not a thing that is done out here. And it's oh, really? done in Russia, and it's not a thing that's wow. in China. I, I know. Jeez, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's a lot, it shocks a lot of Americans. Um, I, I believe they're trying to create worker drones for the Matrix and the completely neutrally emotionally balanced person who's going to go to work their nine to five and pay their taxes is what they want. Uh, eccentrics are very dangerous to the system. Very low level depressed people are very dangerous to the system. Um, if we could just level everyone out chemically, the problem is with the supply and demand in this case is the faith that people have in doctors. When doctors are no longer working for their patients and doctors are incentivized in the wrong way, that's what makes medicine dangerous. Because as I said, I don't know anyone here who takes Ritalin. Romanian doctors aren't, aren't particularly rich. They don't make as much money as American doctors, but they're not incentivized in the same way. Their incentive is, okay, this person's sick, let me treat the sick person. And this medical system, it, it lacks a lot. It really does. But I think every medical system needs that trust and that faith in the doctor. And that's what's hurting America because people don't know any better. And this is something where people are, in fact, innocent victims. You know, if you want what's best for your kid, and I'm a father myself, and a doctor says your child need these, needs these pills or they're going to be dysfunctional at school, they're going to be dysfunctional in this way or that way. American parents, you know, you trust your doctor and you, you give them the pills that you're taking. Um, if, if the medical system was, was, was incentivized very differently, for the doctors and you know the parents and the doctors and the kids had a different relationship with each other drugs like ritalin wouldn't exist there'd be no demand for them you know um if you're a parent and your 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 daughter or your son is really outgoing and really crazy and loves jumping over walls and climbing fences personalities exist on a spectrum i have friends my age as a 34 year old man who are absolutely insane nutcases jump off the balcony into the into the ocean and i have friends who are chilled out who don't want to do any of that shit. My eccentric friends don't need Ritalin. My eccentric friends don't need a, a downer to bring them down. And, and my friends who are more quiet and more chilled don't need pills to, to help their overthinking or their depression. Um, yeah, it's not the drugs. It is big pharma because of the way they position themselves mm -hmm. between the doctor and the patient. That's yep. what I would say. And you're 100% right. I, I had a uh, drug rep in, and his first drug was from Lilly. He was working with Lilly, and it was Cialis. So he would go around and sell Cialis, and he killed it. You know, I mean, how hard is it to sell Cialis? I mean, uh, I could get an ant to sell Cialis to somebody, you know what I mean? But then he killed it with that, and then they started giving him, uh, like, anti-depression drugs. And they would give him a budget of 20000 a month. And if he would come back, if he would come back to Lilly and didn't spend all 20000 of that money on the doctors, taking them to dinners, you know, giving them gift cards, taking them out on the boat, renting a yacht. If he didn't spend all 20000 every month, he got docked and paid for that month. If he spent all 20000 he got a bonus.
exactly what I meant. It's absolutely terrifying. So what you just said is fact, not thought is fact. And the thing is, with, and the thing is with Seattle, there's always going to be a big market. You know, time is the fire in which we all burn. Men always get older. Oh yeah, it's great shit. You want to be able to sexually function. So good, but but at the same time, the demand in you know. Uh, the, the 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 spike of of young people and they're reducing sexual function they're reducing testosterone levels cialis isn't the cure but tristan tristan they they didn't give him tristan tristan they didn't give him any money for the cialis he just went out and did it when they switched him to depression medication that's when they said look on the depression medication you better drop 20k a month yeah it's it's um it, it's terrifying and that is the way it's set up and that that scares me but all you can do is, you know, as a parent and as a friend, you know, talk people out of taking this poison. Be aware. And, you know, I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch very briefly on uh, on a recent program that was worldwide of everybody trying to get everybody to inject. And I can't remember the name of it. I'm not going to say it on this podcast. Um, but there was this program recently where you know you couldn't fly and you couldn't travel and you couldn't do certain things if you didn't have these certain injections for this certain disease. The name slips my mind. Um, <laughs> hilariously upsetting about that is you know in the interest of public health when you look at insulin prices in the united states insulin is very cheap to produce and insulin in europe is very cheap to get it's very cheap to get hold of no diabetic here in romania or the united kingdom or france is going to die because they don't get their insulin and if the united states which is a country that very heavily advocated for this this vaccination program the one i forgot its name really cared about keeping people alive and cared about people's health then why not just eliminate the monopoly in the United States on insulin from the big pharma and have the government fund, because it funded this, this other program, have it fund, you know, giving every person who's born with, with diabetes a fair access to insulin at a reasonable price. Because surely if you care about keeping people alive, that's an issue that's been pressing since insulin was first synthesized in the was it 50s or 60s? 50s, yeah, like I think 52, 53. Up it up it up yeah. it up. Thousands of dollars per vial. Yeah. A whole month's salary for vials of insulin. Uh, you know, I mean... And that's something that's keeping kids alive. That, that's keeping kids alive and they're jacking the price up. So, so be very careful about how you look at the drugs that you take how they got into your hands, who told you to take them and why. Um, I would say that again. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast. Monster Energy. And women had to take a... Um... Uh, a, a class when I was in high school, so this is now 17, 18 years ago, called uh, uh, domestic, was it domestic home skills or domestic skills where we had to cook? We had to bring yeah. ingredients. Yeah, it was like, our, it was like, uh, it was almost called, I think it was like called like cooking class. She'd like, some lady would like teach you how to cook. Yeah. They, they don't have that anymore. But here's the thing. If you're a man and you didn't leave your mother's household and you go off to fucking college or university or even go off and get a job and you don't know how to cook, you're fucked. 
Like these are, these are fundamental life skills, fundamental life skills. And cutting them out makes you reliant once again on the matrix. There are now, okay, well, there's an app if I order Ikea furniture that sends someone around to assemble my Ikea furniture. Okay, I'll just do that because I don't know how to do this. Oh, let Uber eats every day. Well, I don't really know how to cook. <laughs> like it's not funny. I could still prepare a meal and I could still do basic um, electronics and basic car maintenance and stuff on, on the crap I have. Because I was so broke, I had to fix my broken down car loads of times. I had to fix my broken computers. I had to... You had no choice. This basic stuff. I don't because I'm in a position of, of time is money and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very busy. But I could. And the fact that they don't teach this stuff in schools is criminal. Now, about university, before I talk about my own university, I'm going to talk about my thoughts on university. Please do. Again, like I said with... Again, like I said with Big Pharma, university is great. I don't shit on university. It's great for lots of people. You want to be a doctor? You better get that medical degree. You want to practice law? You better pass the bar. That's real shit. And there are people, I'm not educated. I left education at 16 years of age. Everything I know is from self-education. I study, I, I read books for, for when I have spare time. Everything I know is that I'm a self-educated person. But when people come along and say, well, I have to go to university because my parents said, that's very dangerous. That's not, I want to be a doctor, so I need my medical degree. That's dangerous. And let me tell you why. Just like Big Pharma in the United States is positioned perfectly to exploit and manipulate people, universities in the United States and the United Kingdom are equally as well positioned. They have a monopoly. If I am an 18-year-old man in the United States of average intellect, and I say to the government or a bank or anyone, hello, I would like you to lend me $50,000. And they say, well, what are you going to do with the $50,000? And I say, well, there's an airstrip near my house. I could start taking flying lessons. I could get my basic pilot's license. Then I can do some short air, air flights. So I'm going to open a business where I, uh, I write letters in the sky or I want to become a commercial airliner and I want to do my pilot's training. It's going to cost me over $50,000. Please give me that money. Please give me that loan. And I want to become a pilot. They'll say, ha, 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 no. Join the military or fuck you. No, no, no. You can't have a loan. If I have a wonderful business idea at 18 years of age, and I say, I need $25,000 because I need to start this great business. Here's my business plans. Ha, ha, ha. No way. You're 18. We don't trust you. Go fuck yourself. Oh, I'm 18. I don't know what to do with my life. I want to study gender studies or, or business. Uh, can you give me $100,000 in loans so I can party and drink and you know live my life while I'm studying this for four years and give $75,000 to my university for debt that I'll, I'll work for for the rest of my life? Here's your yeah, they can't sign it fast enough. You're with the agenda. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? You, you have that, that ink won't be dry by the time it's in your hands. <laughs> exactly, they're equally well positioned because they have a monopoly on the loan industry to young people, and that again is very, very scary. So the university me and my brother have started, Hustlers University. Congratulations, congratulations. We're, we're rebranding to the real world. The simple premise of it is very simple. One. I know how hard it is as a young man to make money. And I also know how hard it is as a young man to network with anybody important. Back when I was 18, I could open my phone. I had zero millionaires on my phone, not one. And not a millionaire who would take time to tell me anything or try and teach me anything. So I used my network, the war room, to find 18 millionaires all in their own fields, whether it be stock trading, affiliate marketing, and to 18 self-made millionaires who I verified and vetted. And they work for the people who join Hustlers University. They do de daily lectures, lesson, class material, and educate people in either of these 18 rooms on how to make money the way they made money. So now when you're an 18-year-old kid, I'm not going to ask for $100,000 and some loan you're never going to pay off. If you want to learn from millionaires, if you want to learn affiliate marketing from a multimillionaire verified you join the Hustlers University program for $49 and boom, you now have a millionaire who's taking your calls, who's interested in who you are, 
whose time you have, who sends you daily lessons, who grades your work. And the success stories that are coming out of this are insane. And there's no, I mean, there's no logical reason why anyone would have tried to shut this down during my language big cancellation, but they tried to shut us down. And now in November, November 14th, every Hustlers University student is going to be transferred to the new program called The Real World, where we are now teaching more methods of wealth creation. I'm not going to say what they are yet, because that's a big announcement. Ones that you know, the people who run the servers at Amazon would not have been happy for us hosting on their servers. And I'm going to teach every young person and empower them how to make money because I like the people who like me to be empowered. I don't want the people who like me to just watch my videos on the internet and think, oh, well, what the fuck can I do? At least I've now created a resource where for $49, which is nothing, it's a few hours work at any minimum wage job for the entire month, you have access to real millionaires teaching you real things. So, um, that's my contribution to the to the education world. So basically, for fifty dollars a month, you get a, a real millionaire to mentor you. Really, that's what you get. And you know, when I when I think of it like that, you know, that they're millionaires. So that's the best people to listen to if you're you really want to succeed in life. And then I think I go back to drugs, and then I say to myself, how many friends do I know that went to rehab? They got out the second they got out of rehab. Boom, right back to the to the drugs, and I and I would be like, why? Because I never fuck with drugs either. You know, I don't mess with that shit. Um, and I was like, why? Why right away? I sit there for thirty days, and somebody who's never done a drug in their life, somebody who's never gone through any type of withdrawal, is going to sit there and try to tell me how I feel. And I'm relating that to what you're doing with uh, the Millionaire University because. See, you have millionaires coming in that are actual millionaires, not people that want to be or read about them. They're really millionaires to mentor you. And one of the things in the U.S. with all this rehab bullshit that doesn't exist here is you got some lady who went to some tech school for two years, read some books or guy. Yeah. Mad at the world and is dealing with a bunch of guys or girls that are sick. They have no relation because they've never been through it. And then. I guess the U.S., they don't even want to help because they just want to make more money. But pretending that they did, if they did want to help, they would put in people that have been through it that know how to talk to someone who's had a really bad problem. And then I bet you the success rate would be probably fourfold. Yeah, because when I, when I say I like university, I think about 60 percent or 70 percent of university degrees are completely false. Fuck yeah. If you go to a fuck yeah. school. And look at your teachers who all have medical degrees. Look at the faculty car park. You'll see some Corvettes. You'll see some Mustangs. You'll see some great vehicles in that car parking lot. If you go to the run-of-the-mill university that's going to teach business, on your introduction day, young people, please go there and have a look around the university. Oh, hi, I'm the guy who's going to be teaching you business. Hello, sir. My name is Tristan Tate. What successful company have you run and how much money do you <laughs> You're just a guy who has a degree in business. It's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, it's a fucking Ponzi scheme. And you're going to see a bunch of broken down Toyotas and fucking Dodge fucking whatevers. And nobody has any money. No. Standing there paying $100,000 to stand in front of some guy who's only making 50 grand a year himself. Give all these wonderful business lessons. (laughs) It's so right. It's so fucking right. Making double minimum wage at best. Why are you listening to that? He's... 
Tristan, he's got another job that he's got that he puts to you know he, he's in the back, he's cooking in the back on his second job at nighttime, and he doesn't want nobody to know. But this is the guy who's gonna make me a millionaire, right? Get the fuck out of here! And couldn't that be the more? You're listening to verified millionaires. Yeah, that's what I mean. Shit, verified millionaires. That's a that's a great idea. I'm not pulling anyone's pants down, and that's why they tried to shut me down because I've introduced. We had our peak, and it's going to climb back up there very, very soon. Over 150,000 students. Congratulations. The revenue that's coming in. Great. Thing. That gives me the ability, with 150,000 students at that price level, to reward the millionaires uh, um, amount of money that matters for them, for their time, so they're well paid, they're well, they're well compensated. Everybody within the program is getting value for money, and they don't like programs like mine. Because when I say, look, I've got 18 millionaires ready to teach you about life and making money and all the lessons, you know, it's, and it's not just... I'm the affiliate marketing guy. Let me teach you affiliate marketing. They'll talk about their failures, things that went wrong for them, just general life habits they have for being a millionaire. You're really learning from these people. And the people who are in charge of the world and big education, like I like to call like big medicine, big pharma, they don't like programs like mine. Why would they want every young person in the world to just access 18 millionaires and their life lessons and all their money-making uh, uh, ideas and stories? For forty nine dollars, they don't want that. Well, they don't want that because then they can't control them. Isn't that? They can't control them, then, Tristan. They can't control them. So, so check out Hustlers University too. Hu two dot io. Hey, that would be in the description. That that's awesome. And what what a great idea. What a great idea. And that's what's needed. It's needed. It's people that like you doing that. It actually, if it wasn't for the war room, all that I'm not going to plug the war room. If it wasn't for the war room, because I don't, you know, it's it's our private network. If it wasn't for the war room, I wouldn't have been able to launch Hustlers University because these are all friends of mine and people who I've networked with and known for many years. And I said, OK, I'm going to give you X percentage of the of the net profit of this company. You're a bit some of the one of the guys in there is worth over 200 million dollars. Sure. I'm not going to say exactly which one it is, but one sure. of the professors. And he started working for Hustlers University, too. And I think his first paycheck for the first month was like four hundred and twenty dollars working work at eight hours a day so it took the war room it took mine landry's private network and people's faith in me to put something this unique together because it was only once it finally became successful that the professors were making an adequate amount of money that they deserve you know, the, that they deserve for, for all their time and all their hard work congratulations 10 students when there was 10 students i still had 18 million in so it was a miracle, but we pulled it off. And it's a wonderful program. We're rebranding soon to the new world. And, and you know what? I, you know, and when you have money like that, you know, you, you already made the money. You've already had the money. So it's always fun then to watch somebody else do it. You know, it's, it's fun to watch somebody else come up. It, it's it's so really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I'm really happy you're doing it like that. I love seeing the success stories. I love seeing the success stories of the people who made money within the program. It just make, it makes me so happy. And I just wish something like that existed around when I was 18. Just didn't. Me too. I don't want these young guys struggling as hard as I did. You know, I'm going to at least open up a bridge and, and let them cross it if they want. My option was, uh, when I was 18, my option would have been Dan Pena at his castle in uh, Ireland and uh, get beat down to a pulp and then get brought back up. You know who Dan Pena is? Yeah, he's. I'm going, uh, he's here in Miami, uh, in uh, December, and I'm going to his hotel to do a podcast with him for two hours. <laughs> he's a, he's he's awesome. I've never met the guy. I've never spoken to him. He's a friend of some friends, though, so I do know. I have I know people who do know him. He's an interesting guy for sure. <laughs> Can't help but not laugh with him. So, with the casinos, how did you guys get into the casinos? What a choice to go into that. That sounds like a hell of a lot of headache. You know what? 
it was a very, we positioned ourselves. Networking is super important. And through kickboxing, um, we met the sponsors of the main kickboxing, uh, the main MMA federation in, in the Balkans, which is called RXF. I'm now a part owner of that, my, myself, my brother. Congratulations. It's a great show, so so check out the fights. Absolutely. Um, but one of the main sponsors of the show were, were a bunch of brothers who owned a, a, a very big chain of casinos here in Bucharest. And I'm not talking big, glamorous cocktail waitresses, live dealers kind of casinos. Uh, I don't own those. I'll be honest, I don't. But I own a lot of very small casinos and they're all like automated roulette wheels, machine based, etc. And I knew it was a great business model. So I, I initially spoke to the sponsors when I first joined the RXF team many years ago and said, well, let me open some locations for you. He said, nah, we don't really need you to. It's fine. I look at a place in the city, I point to it and they'll open the location for me. I was like, okay, these guys don't need me. And I propositioned them every time I met them. And it was a team of three brothers. They've now made their money. They do very well. Uh, one of them is in charge of, of running the business. The other two are busy doing other things. And I said, look, okay, how about this? Let us open some locations for you, pay you your franchise fee. But we're going to open next to your biggest competitor. And as we go to war with your competitors for you, because these aren't necessary locations that you necessarily would choose, I'm going to make some money. Your competitor is going to lose some money where you're going to keep your brand dominance, et cetera. I finally made an offer that they liked. And we shook hands. And from there, it's, I've, I've become the, the, only, the only person, myself, my brother, the only people in the world with the, with the rights to franchise these, uh, these casinos. And we keep opening new ones and new ones. And they make wonderful money. And it's a wonderful business. Congratulations. I'm a gambling addict. Oh, I don't so fucking know. No, no. I've seen, I've, I've, I've seen the, I don't bet. I've seen, believe me, I, I grew up in South Philly. Don't go to the casino. No, 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 no. It all means enjoy casinos. I enjoy casinos. When I'm in Las Vegas, when I'm in Monaco, sure. I, I go out with as much money as I'm happy to lose. I spin it away, drink some drinks. You know, I, I have fun at casinos, but by all means, don't become a gambling addict. Yeah, don't reason. go into the casino with more than you have to lose. Only go in with what you can lose because they're in business and they got them big fancy buildings for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> they're not that fancy because you're the winner. <laughs> You're right about that. The house always wins. But, uh, yeah. So, casino business wrapped up in a, in a second. I, so, Interesting line of work. So when, I'm, when I was looking through everything, I still don't understand why they canceled you. It, it's like, what, what do you think is the foundation? Why, why all this cancellation thing and then the raid bullshit because of somebody said something? Yeah. But what, it's, it's, why cancel you? Like, I don't understand why they're after you. I look, what, what do you say that's bad or do... I, I only see you helping people. I don't see anything. We could talk about the, we could talk about the excuses they made for it, and they're very good at doing this. They delete you, then they say that you're dangerous because of X reason, and then you can't argue back. Luckily, me and my brother are marketing geniuses. We were, I mean, my brother was on the Piers Morgan show two days ago, one of the biggest shows uh, in all of Europe. Uh, they can't shut us up, but they did try. The plan is cancel them, shut them up. Say that they're dangerous because of misogyny and because they're misogynists, let's put that over every newspaper that we could find and hope that people just go along with them being canceled. But people got more curious and they started listening and they're going to listen to a podcast like this where I've said nothing misogynistic and never ever will because I'm not a misogynist. I love women. Of course I do. You can't be a man like me and not love women. Wow. And they essentially over the uh, stuff I say about university, the stuff, stuff I said about certain uh certain the, the the medical procedure they were telling everyone to have and, and programs like this which i still will not talk about on, on anyone else's channel they were listening to myself and my brother talk about all these things you make a lot of sense and we were opening a lot of eyes about a lot of these problems and i believe that their finger was hovering over the cancel button until they found an excuse 
And they found an excuse and then they pushed the cancel button. But it was a, a culmination of a bunch of things. They don't want young men empowered, strong, financially independent, free thinking, because the world is fucked once men get like that. I mean, the, the world isn't fucked. The world's better. But the control of the matrix is compromised when that happens. So I really believe that the initial reason we got banned is my brother said, and I'll quote exactly, if I were to fly through the eye of a hurricane and I had to decide if I had a male or female pilot, I'd choose the men because I believe that men are more level-headed in stressful situations from my personal experience. But if I were to drop my niece, talking about my daughter, off at a daycare center, I would much rather drop her at a daycare center that's run by all women because women are much better at being empathetic and understanding the needs of children, whereas men are not so good at this. I agree 100%, and I have a two-year-old daughter. Yeah, full quote. Now, if you cut that quote in half, yeah. chop it around a bit, if I were to fly through a hurricane, I'd, I'd want a male pilot. Boom. That blows up everywhere. Billions of views. This guy's dangerous. He's misogynistic. He thinks women shouldn't be pilots. And that's what they purported as the reason why they canceled us. Well, there's a clip of Andrew saying, oh, what I do is I take the machete, I put her in her face, and I say, calm the fuck down. And he's like, he threatens women with machetes. The full quote is, Andrew was asked on a podcast, he says, I sleep with this machete next to my bed. And he was asked a question, whatever girl you were sleeping next to pulled out the machete and tried to kill you in the middle of the night. So in a question about self-defense, about being attacked, he said, well, if she, I grabbed the machete, put it in her face, say, calm the fuck down, fucking throw it to the side, whatever. They cut that bit off and said, look, this guy attacks women with machetes. It, it's like what a dirty motherfucker. What a dirty motherfucker. Whoever cut that up, that's some dirty shit, man. That's evil. And, and legally, in a self-defense scenario like that, you'd be allowed to shoot somebody. So Andrew just says he pushed her away after waving the machete around. The point is, they found their excuses and they went loud with the reasons. But because great platforms like Rumble exist, because great platforms like Getter exist that allowed us to transfer all of our content everywhere else, people started watching what we actually said. The whole narrative has shifted. And I think that, um, yeah, the, 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 it's, it's all stopped now. There's the, you can't paint us in a bad light because we're not bad people. It's impossible. You can spread the rumors as much as you like. But um, real smart people will do their own research and they'll open their own eyes. So I see. So they, they saw you blowing. They saw you guys blowing up. They saw you guys getting huge traction. Just looking for a reason to hit that button. Dancing around the you know, surgery for a guy or a girl at nine or 10 years old, which is mind blowing that even the, that's even in a conversation. And then they, they, the podcast guy does the dirty, cut it up like they did to Rogan and boom, yeah. now they got a way to get yeah. to you, but you guys yeah. don't sit, you guys true. don't sit. And I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. as hell to, to see you keep running. The beautiful thing is they couldn't ban us from YouTube because for the first week, our faces and voices were banned. But there were so many people saying bad things about us and doing reaction videos to us. All of their heroes, the people who purport their stuff, or the, the fucking polls <laughs> of the world, the H3, H3, Ethan declines. And these people were reporting our videos, and they these videos started getting taken down. And they thought, oh, fuck, we have to change this. So they're allowed on YouTube, but they're not allowed their own channels. But because of our message being so popular, and because we have such good friends and people who are smart out there like you or who are happy to invite me on and talk to us, the message is louder than ever. Yeah. So cancellation sent all but failed so uh, but that is why they wanted to, to cancel us when i tell young men you know tell your 
go, go to your university and, you know, ask your teachers how much, you know, what businesses they run. Talk to your parents. Tell your parents to make more conscious health efforts. Give away your participation trophies. That's why they canceled us. That's why. It's nothing to do with misogyny. It sounds pretty damn positive. Pretty, pretty po- I mean, I don't know how it gets any more positive. I, you, I mean, they're that mad about uh, uh, two wealthy guys that came from nothing uh, to send a positive message because you want control that bad. With no criminal records. With no criminal records. Records. <laughs> Businessmen. We're the enemy somehow. And then, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, just like the Brady thing, you, you would say, well, there's got to be more to it, but there's not. And that's just how fucking crazy this world is. That is how crazy it is. How do you? I, can't, I don't know the motivations beyond that. Th- those are my guesses. Those are my. Guesses. I, I think you're. I think you're right on. I, I know a million people watching this. They're entrepreneurs, and myself. I. This is a personal question for you. How do you manage your time? Time always kills me because by nature I'm a coder. So I, I code during the day. I build websites. I do all that. Then I got hooked into this podcast thing just out of fun, and now it's a whole. It's a whole. It's a whole thing. How do you manage your time? You know, you're running all these things. You're doing all these things. Like, do you have a set time that you go to bed? Like, break me down how you manage time. The answer is with great difficulty. And I think <laughs> you're not going to find anyone with, with this level of, with, it, with, a, with a net worth that's nine figures that you're going to find. Congratulations, sir. Is going to say easy. Like, I don't manage my time easily. I manage my time in a form of natural selection. So I don't have a schedule. I don't have a calendar. And this is something that I don't, I'm not advocating for this. This is something that I do. It's a system of natural selection because I also like uh, partying. I like women. I like lots of things that are certainly detrimental to financial success. Uh, Things that I like to spend my money on. I like driving around all day in my car. That earns me nothing. Um, I love doing these things. And I could schedule myself and I could cut a lot of the fun out and the and concentrate on the necessities and concentrate on making the money only. But I feel that life is for living and natural selection runs my schedule. If I embark on a project tomorrow, for example, and in six months I realized the project went nowhere because I dedicated none of my time to it, I'm happy. I'm happy because I think if I had forced myself to spend four hours a day on this project for six months and it had worked, okay, I'd have more money, but I basically got enough money. But what I've done is I've obviously burnt so much of my time, a half a year of my life into this project, which I clearly was not passionate about. I clearly wasn't passionate about it because I haven't invested any time in getting it off the ground. So natural selection controls my schedule. I know what I need to do each morning. I know what things I need to do, but I basically want to do them. I like doing my work. I like uh, the war room and Hustlers University and going to my casinos and all the things I do. I like it. If I didn't, I'd be less successful in those fields. Uh, it's certainly one of the reasons why I got out of the webcam OnlyFans kind of side of the business. I had no passion for that. It was a good way for me to make money at the time. I didn't find it interesting. I didn't think I was necessarily benefiting anyone. And when I had other ways of making money that I cared about more, I, I naturally took my I put, took my foot off the gas. I didn't really make a conscious decision to schedule more hours towards this or more hours towards that. And sometimes I wake up in the morning thinking, you know what? I'm going to drive my supercar to this town that I know where I've got two women who are 10 out of 10 hot and I'm going to spend all night drinking vodka and champagne and smoking cigars and I'm going to pass out and sleep like nine hours after that, which is a lot for me. And sometimes I will do that. Well, what the fuck is the point in having any money if I can't make that decision? You know, natural selection runs my schedule. That's the best way I can describe it. I like to do things. And, And in terms of wasting my money, a quick bit of gold that I drop in here is I spend 50% of my money as though I'm going to live 50 more years and 50% of my money is though I'm going to live 50 more days. 
And the reason I make stupid impulse purchases and have 27 cars is because I might die tomorrow. You might. Everyone listening might. You don't fucking know. So you don't want to be the richest man in the graveyard. So I do make a lot of smart, informed financial decisions. But I also, like if you watch Take Confidential on Rumble, was walking through London one day, literally saw a Rolls Royce in the window and spent $550,000. Why? Because it's a cool story and I did that. You know, and I, didn't, I don't want to be the guy without the Rolls Royce for the sake of having an extra 550K and then what? But, it, but isn't that what you worked for all, all these years? Isn't that what you worked for to be able to go and just buy what you want when you want? Isn't that what you work for to be able to do that? So if you save it, then you never get to enjoy what you put all your time and effort and dedication into, right? Exactly. But, but there, there is an art in scheduling and lots of people keep lots of tight schedules and lots of people who I speak to will send me their schedule and I'll book in times to talk to them. I completely get that. I'm just telling you what I do, but I'm a bit of a maverick, I guess, in, in that regard. But it, it's all working out well so far. So, But were you like that when you were building up before before you, you hit you know, the top where you're at now, when you were building up, did you have a schedule that you had on paper or on a document or never did? No, but I was always a workaholic. So even when I just discovered the, the, the webcam game and I was making money this way, I was up 20 hours a day working because there was nothing else I wanted to do more than make that money. So it, it's always been the same way. Now my business portfolio, my lifestyle is a lot more eclectic and I do very many different things. I'll go fucking mountain hiking tomorrow, maybe if I feel like it. Um, so it's a lot more complicated and chopped up now. Uh, back then, I didn't have a schedule because I didn't need one. I was single-mindedly focused on tasks. Train for my kickboxing fight, win my fight. When I'm not training, run my studio. It was it was a lot simpler, so I didn't need one. Yeah, you you were a kickboxing champion. I forgot he was kickboxing champion. Two two-time two European champion. My brother was the That's tough. champion, but I I was a you know I'm no pussy myself. I don't want no problems with that kickboxing shit. Hell no. I don't know. Thank you. Boxing's one thing, but that's... Oh, I don't know how you guys can take those hits, boy. Damn. There's a lot of fun. If you see my nose, my nose leans this way. I wasn't as good as Andrew, so I got punched a lot. It looks absolutely straight to me. Two-time kickbox champion, it looks straight. Tristan, it's straight as can be. I don't know what you're seeing, but I don't see it. it could. Two-time kickbox champion, it's like Mike Tyson over there. That nose looks perfect, buddy. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, it certainly could have been worse. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate it. I, I hope you come back again. But I, I want to ask you one more thing. And uh, uh, networking. I, I think networking is a huge thing. And I underestimated it big time uh, getting into this podcast thing in the beginning. Could you elaborate on some things you did in networking coming up and how you built your network so strong? Coming up was always difficult. I think the number one step to networking isn't about trying to take other people's time. It's about being a nice person. It's going to sound very stupid. Be the kind of guy that guys want to hang around with and have a drink with. Be the kind of guy who's got some interesting stories. Don't be a degenerate. Don't be an idiot. Be smart. Be sharp. Be funny. Be articulate in the way you speak. Make people think, oh, it's Friday night and I want to, we're going to have a poker game. Let's invite that Tristan Tate guy. He's okay. You know. So number one is, is working on yourself. Because if you're just some – and people do this. I've had people come to my fucking house, literally from America, and stand outside my house. Hi, I just thought I'd take the initiative and blah, blah. I'm like, security, get this guy away from my fucking house. Don't come near my fucking house. Got my fucking kids here sometimes. Fuck off. Like, that's not networking. That's weird. That's weird. Because who are you? I don't like you. I don't know your fucking name. Be a likable person, and you'll slowly infiltrate very low circles and work your way up. 
Uh, certainly with my dad, he played chess with a lot of wealthy people in the United Kingdom. And me and my brother would use our last money to take the train down to where these guys were at the casino just to talk. I mean, even when my father wasn't around, he was in America at the time, just to talk about my dad and talk about chess, maybe extract some value from these people while I was there. I always knew it was semi-important. But today with the Internet, I mean, we just met today. The, the number of people I meet because of the Internet is insane. So networking, the whole game has changed. You don't have to go through the hard shit that I went through trying to meet important people. Don't be autistic, be likable, be smart, say something funny, you know, make sure your introductions are good. Never act like a fan. If, if I meet someone and they say, hey, my name's Adam. I say, hey, Adam, I'm Tristan. Even if that guy's a super Tristan Tate fan in his head, he just pulled a smart move. Because now I'm like, oh, so what are you doing here, Adam? It, like, it's different. Oh my God, hi, Tristan, have a picture. That's not networking. That's clout chasing and you look like a jackass and no one important is ever going to talk to you if you do that. So, yeah, there are tip, the, the tips and tricks are be a nice, normal guy. Be the kind of guy that people want to hang out with. Be polite to everyone. Um, be courteous. Be funny. Uh, try and bring value in your own way, whether it's having a nice car. Maybe it's turning up with two beautiful women at every party you're invited to. That's value in and of itself. And with the Internet, there are lots of resources. I mean, mine and my brother's private network and organization is called The War Room. There's over 130 ver verified millionaires within The War Room. Uh, everyone in there can talk to everyone. You can join the room and talk to me, but I'm not going to just reply to new guys for eight hours a day. But if you start a conversation that I'm part of in, in, in the halls and the rooms, I'm certainly going to join in and you'll be talking to you know, people that perhaps you'd like to work with in the future. The business deals that have happened inside of the war room, business deals have happened between people, two parties, richer than myself and my brother put together, doing business that makes more money than myself and my brother could make. And I find that very interesting, considering we started the network. And and how cool is that to see? How cool is that to see happen? I mean, it is. And 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 also, there are kids joining the the, the war room very recently. I'm not going to use any names, but he was a one was a, a fitness fitness instructor uh, in in Europe. Uh, speaks Romanian, my, the language here, uh, with an American fitness instructor in Europe who's a little bit more successful, who runs courses and sells his fitness programs online and stuff. He helped this Romanian kid out. Uh, the Romanian kid gave him a percentage of his income. He now has, because he was no competitor because he was releasing courses in the Romanian language. And he's now up and coming and making a lot of money in the fitness industry here in Romania. The guy in America is doing it, getting a cut. You know, you can work with people who are more knowledgeable than you in almost every field within organizations like the War Room. But there are lots of uh, organizations like that in real life. If you could scrape together enough money for a supercar, maybe you're in the position me and my brother were in when we bought that old Aston many years ago, that 60 grand car. Go to the local Aston Martin meetups. Because you're going to meet millionaires there, airline pilots, surgeons, doctors, businessmen, and they're going to be impressed at you for having your car. And you're, you're going to talk a bit about Aston Martins, maybe bring the conversation on a little further. But rule number one is don't act like a fan and don't be dislikable. That's good advice. Now, the, the, you'll laugh at this one, but I opened up an engineering firm, and the reason why I was a girl, it was just nuts. But the engineering firm had taken off. I had named it close to uh, another company that I had worked on a very famous uh, hotel. So when I had done this, I would go in to these meetings, you know, nice tailored suit, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Couldn't get a deal. So I went to a very wealthy guy that I know, and I said, what is going on? And he goes, go get a pair of Gucci loafers with the horseshoes and a Rolex and, and go to Saks and get it tailored the right way. Uh, a Zayna suit or something or whatever. This was back when I was wearing suits all the time with this engineering bullshit. So, and I did, and I went with those Gucci horseshoe uh, loafers. It had to be horseshoes for some reason, and a, a presidential Rolex, boom, yeah. deals left and right. 
Now, my question to you is, aside, that was, that was just like something I went through with that shit. But when you're around somebody who's that millionaire, who's above you, and you don't want to seem like you want to use them, but they have a connection that you need. When is the right time to ask? Because you know a thousand people are asking them every day for something, blah, 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 and you don't want to be that guy because you're friends with them. A lot of, a lot of people are like that. When is the right time to ask? I would say don't ask anyone a favor unless you're comfortable sharing embarrassing stories. And that's not an exact science. What I mean is if you're comfortable to sit around a guy and you've known him now, there's a tenth time you meet him, you know, we're talking about some girl you hooked up with or something that went wrong and they're like, and you could laugh at yourself and you're on that real comfortable level. I think that's the, the, the mark of an actual friendship beginning. And until you're friends with somebody, you shouldn't be asking anyone for favors. If so, if you do someone favors, cool, ask them for favors back. But unless you could sit around for a whole day and discuss no business and smoke and play golf and do whatever it is you're doing and uh, enjoy yourselves with that person, don't ask them for favors. But if you had done them a favor... Is, do you think it's all right then? If you do them a favor, tip for tap, right? 100%. 100%. Oh, you know, I did this for you. Maybe could you do me a favor introduce me to this? Or, or straight, if you, don't want to, if, if you don't think that you're on the level with that guy that you're going to become friends with him, straight offer him a kickback or a cup of whatever you, you think you're trying to do. Hey, man, I'm trying to get in touch with X because I'm trying to do Y. Hell, you know, if I did this for the introduction, of course, I'd, I'd give you a bit of money. A lot of people do this within the war, within the war room. I do this myself. But uh, yeah, before asking for a favor, like a real favor, not uh, I've scratched my back, I've scratched your back, you scratch mine. Uh, make sure you're friends with the dude. So if you can sit around and have a funny conversation, you're laughing your ass off and you're drinking whiskey with him, that's the time to ask somebody for a favor. Not on your first meeting or your second meeting. Because people do this to me all the time. Yeah, like, like how many people ask you for a favor a day? Oh, I, I, if, you, if you count Instagram inbox messages, yeah. 20 every 60 seconds. <laughs> my Instagram inbox is flooded. Right, so... This idea, but it's just like, just leave me alone. So that's exactly what I mean. Never mind. So there you are. You get, every, you're getting buried. So the last thing you want to hear is somebody coming up saying, Tristan, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? So what you're saying is become friends with Tristan. First. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. If I like you yeah. first, I'll do it. Yeah. But like you said, build that friendship first and, and don't be just sitting there worried about the, the favor that you want. And that goes down to what I said about networking. Be a likable person. That's the basis of all networking. Yeah. Well, man, thank you very much for your time. Anything else? I had a really great I don't. I don't want to take advantage of too much, man, because I got to get you back on again. No problem, man. You threw some really good questions my way, and I, I spoke about a lot of things that I don't tend to talk about. So yeah, it's um, people are going to see another side of me on here. And then when, when it's out, I'll push this to uh, to to my Instagram, etc. Make sure a lot of eyes get on it. Um, you can find me for anyone watching on Instagram at Talisman Tate. Um, I'm also at Talisman Tate on Getter, which is my new Twitter substitute, not Twitter substitute, Twitter replacement because fuck Twitter. I'm on Rumble forward slash Tate Speech, Rumble forward slash Tate Confidential. And any questions about uh, HU2? Just go to hu2.io. There is a live chat function. And um, if you think it's right for you, I'd love to see you inside. And obviously, I'll put all this in the description. And I love when you I love when you say fuck you. Say fuck you. With the accent, I love it. Fuck you. I love it. I love it. I, I'm going to make that a sound bite. Whenever it was just like an emoji. And when somebody's an asshole, the Trishan, fuck you. I love it. You and Pierce Morgan, you guys got the best. You, I won't even charge you a copyright fee. <laughs> I'll ask first. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much, man. It was fun. It was fun. And thanks. Thank you for the answers of the questions. They were really good.
And I, I think, you know. Thanks for the question, man. If we change one person, man, it's a big deal. Hope to see you soon. It was worth doing it. Bye. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.